Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 121 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined in person by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. We're here, as promised, uh, together on our last day here of this uh, Christmas vacation of ours. Um, we've watched all of the bowl games, the semifinals, so we're going to be diving into that today, as well as doing some preview of the uh, upcoming national championship game. So, lots to look forward to today. Yes. Yep. And for those who are joining for the first time, this is College Football Throwdown, a father-son duo talking about college football uh, by college football fans for college football fans. And uh, we won't be able to talk much about our Nebraska Cornhuskers on the football side today, but we do have some volleyball news to discuss with our uh, girls making it to the Final Four in women's volleyball. Uh, before all that, we're going to do our tradition and crack open a beverage. Yes. And since we are in Michigan enjoying a beautiful white Christmas here. I'm looking out the window and it's some beautiful uh, white, new, fresh snow. Uh, we're going to be drinking a Canadian beer, which is our favorite when we are here in Michigan, which is uh, Labatt Blue. It's a wonderful Pilsner. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. Alrighty. Alright. Very good, very good. Um, so yeah, on the previous podcast um, we had discussed the Nebraska volleyball team's win over Texas, which was unexpected, and the, uh, they were the toughest one in our particular bracket of the tournament. And so then we made it to the Final Four, and we played against Pittsburgh, right? Who was yes. a, a very team known for their speed. Right, right. They they well, first of all, we were a ten seed, and the other three in the Final Four were uh, basically uh, first, third, and fourth, I believe, were the uh, the seedings going into the tournament for the other three teams. So uh, Texas being the only one of the top four that didn't make it because we beat them in the in the regional final. But uh, but yeah, so it was a great it was a great uh, final four. Uh, broke all kinds of records in terms of those two semifinal games uh, with uh, both attendance and uh, uh, television eyeballs. You know the the number of people watching the the. The um, semifinals was the top they've ever had, um, and uh, this particular Final Four was going on in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, nice arena there, nationwide arena, <clears throat> and uh, so they did good uh, in terms of uh, putting on this thing during the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. And in that uh, Pittsburgh game, uh, our girls had pretty nice control over the situation i think the final score was three to one in terms to of one. sets the first set uh when they first came out we really struggled to adjust to like you said earlier the speed of the uh pittsburgh offense basically the way that they choose to run their their um their offensive system is trying to basically beat you to the net if you will where they're trying to um, get that ball uh, positioned in front of the net for their attackers as fast as possible. And that makes it harder for us to have our block and our defense positioned and set to defend that block or to defend that attack. <clears throat> and they did an outstanding job. In the first in the first set, they were just incredible. Um, yeah. uh, <clears throat> but the challenge with doing that kind of a system is that it can, it can also be very high error prone. And you you're really have to be able to pass the ball well to be able to execute within that faster system. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they did it extremely well in the first set and just got, pretty much were kicking our butt. But then we uh, we kind of adjusted a little bit. We we started getting a little bit more pressure on them uh, with our serve, and that started breaking them down a little bit. So that uh, slowed them down in terms of their ability to get that ball uh, to their attackers. And then our our defense was able to you know get uh, get where it was supposed to be, and uh, and we just kind of wore them down. And yep. then by the the latter st- sets, uh, we started to really control things. It was a tight match though. I mean, it wasn't like we blew them out or anything. Um, that was a very good Pittsburgh team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was the thing I noticed was that once our serving kind of got more consistent, um, we were able to get them out of system. And when they're out of system, they can't do that like quick serve or quick set, set. rather yep. um, style of attacking that they really like to do. Right. Um, so that really helped us uh, neutralize them. Uh, and then the follow-up team, the uh, the other set was a, a close set between Wisconsin and Louisville, yeah. um, but Wisconsin uh, ended up, weren't they down two sets, and then they won the next no, three? The, no, no, it wasn't a reverse sweep, but it, it was a back and forth. It was a 1-1, one, one, then 2-1, okay. then 2-2, and then finally a, a, a fifth deciding set. But just a tremendous match and uh, just some amazing volleyball uh, between those two teams. Very high-level performance by both Louisville and Wisconsin. But like Wisconsin has been known to do, particularly over the last two years, is they have so much um, um, weapons, so many weapons to attack you with. Uh, It's really tough if you're in a tight match or, excuse me, a tight individual set with Wisconsin. And uh, once they get to 20, they're hard to beat. So if you're going to beat Wisconsin, you've got to... You got to create enough of a, a gap, enough of a lead over them that when you get to twenty, you've already got a lead, and and you can deal with what happens at the end right. of every set. And they were the one that you did not want Nebraska to play because they've beaten us in the regular season this year, and, yep. and in the past few years they've beaten us consistently. Correct. Pretty much ever since they've had Redke, they've had our number. Um, so um, uh, Redke and, and Sidney Hilly are both outstanding. Sidney being the setter for them. Uh, just phenomenal uh, players, and uh, they uh, again over that stretch. Even this year, you know, we we lost twice to them: once three zero and once three one. And in those uh, seven sets, I guess you'd call it right, uh, right. Four of those seven sets were deuce sets, meaning that they won by two, which is the you know minimum right. amount you can win by. So it could have easily gone the other way. Um, so, uh, but it's just a very competitive. Those two teams are very competitive, and I think they will continue to be. I mean, Wisconsin's got some tremendous talent that will continue even beyond Dana and Sydney, uh, their two best players who are going to be gone. But uh, but they have some uh, additional talent that's going to make it a, a tremendous rivalry between Nebraska and, and Wisconsin going forward, I think. Yep, and I think I was surprised how we came out and were dominating them in the first set. We really had them off balance when we were serving. Right. Um, so we got a good, solid win in the first set. And then in the second set, too, we were carrying over that momentum right. um, and were able to get a sizable lead. Yeah, up uh, until about the middle of that second set. Yep, and then they started to figure things out and yeah. they, uh, start blocking us. Well, that's the thing. They adjusted their block. Early in the match, we were running uh, basically some... Um, slight differences to our middle attack particularly and uh, our middles were having some success basically hitting around their block because their block is huge six nine and six six eight 
probably the biggest block in the world. Not even in men's um, volleyball is there a combination of six nine six eight uh, that can be a formidable block. But uh, we were going around it and, and successfully, um, basically getting getting our middle set before they could get set, and uh, effectively being a little quicker than them, right? Uh, but they adjusted, started anticipating what we were doing, and they started a block party, man. And they ended up. Uh, after the match was over, I think they had like 23 blocks, yeah, which was, is an enormous number. That's a big, was, big number. It was crazy. Um, yep. So yeah, we kind of lost the second set in heartbreaking fashion. It went to like tw- was it like 31, 29? Yep. Yeah. Um, and then they won the third set, so it was looking rough for us, but we managed to rally in the fourth set um, and hold on, even though you know they were kind of making another comeback. We held on. We got that. Then the fifth set, they scored seven points immediately, um, which was obviously crushing, especially since that's only a fifteen-point set. Um, but uh, but our girls fought back, you know, still were valiant. You know, there was some amazing defense on both sides of the ball um, across the whole night. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun for me to watch live uh, from home, and you actually got to go to the game itself, right? And it was a it was a great environment. Um, again, the, the level of defense was incredible. Uh, offense was not uh, because the defense was. It was just really, really hard to get the ball to the floor against either one of those teams. Um, and we had our chances. I mean, the, the, the reality is is that, uh, you know, as time goes on, the more and more disappointed I get as I look at that match because we really did have quite a number of opportunities to win it. Um, but we just didn't make enough plays. There were just a few plays here and there, and we would have won that darn thing, um, especially in that second set. That second set, losing that, we had four or five uh, set point opportunities, and we didn't get any of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? Uh, Cheers to Wisconsin. They deserved it. This was their third time being in the Final Four uh, with this group of players. So they've been there. Three-time Big Ten champions. Three-time Big Ten champions, so um, you know it was kind of their turn, and they had five of the super seniors on their team. So we'll see how next year goes. Uh, we've got some good talent returning. We will certainly be in the mix, I think, again next year, as will Wisconsin, uh, along with a few other Big Ten teams. So it's going to be very fascinating to see how that goes. Yeah, a great ma- great match, great sport, and if you're frustrated with Nebraska football. I encourage anyone listening to seriously dive into the sport of volleyball and begin following the Huskers because they are a joy to watch. Yeah, it is. It was fun to watch, I can say, as somebody who hasn't watched much of college volleyball before. Um, Switching back over to football, of course, we've been checking out a lot of the bowl games um, in our time together here. Uh, Not all of them by any stretch, but we watched most of the major ones and, of course, the big semifinal games so we'll get to what our predictions were from last time and (laughs) oh do we have to (laughs) we do unfortunately we do um to start things out with some of the more minor bowls though where there were some interesting upsets and things um uab actually played against a 13th ranked byu in the independence bowl and beat them by three 28 31 so that was kind of an early upset in this year's bowl season um and uh, in the Armed Forces Bowl, uh, appropriately, Army managed to beat Missouri uh, 24-22. 
Also another a great game and just incredible. Oh, yeah. Did you watch some of that I, one? I did watch that, and Army kind of came back and beat Missouri, uh, so it was uh, impressive. Nice. I always love it when the academies win. Yep, yep. you got to love that. Um, and this was interesting in the uh, Gasparilla Bowl. I'm probably mispronouncing that. You did. You butchered that. That's okay, though. <laughs> uh, the two Florida schools played against each other, UCF and then the University of Florida. Um, and uh, UCF won that 29-17. <laughs> Um, which is probably, I don't know what their, their lifetime record is between those two, but it's very Florida favorite, I'm sure. So. Yes, exactly. So that, that was a good win for them. Um, and then from here from the state of Michigan, uh, Western Michigan played against Nevada in the Quick Lane Bowl, and they uh, got a lot of points. They won 52-24. to 24. So the state of Michigan actually did pretty well. I saw Eastern Michigan lost, but Michigan State won, Central, Central Michigan, Michigan won. Yep. So overall, the state did pretty good, except for the semifinal, which we'll get to a in, little later in a bit. Yeah. Um, this was another good one: the Birmingham Bowl with Auburn playing against twenty-ranked Houston. Um, and although Houston was ranked and Auburn was not, I think most people would expect that you know Auburn's the team with the name recognition, talent, has more talent. more talent, et cetera, et cetera. But Houston managed to win that seventeen to thirteen. Yep, and that and Houston, of course, is from the same league as Cincinnati, so that gave a little bit of credibility to you know the Cincinnati uh, being in that final uh, four. That's right. They were from the American. Uh, conference right yeah i thought so um this was another interesting one the early narrative uh from some of the early bowls was that the uh, sec was doing pretty bad because they were down to like oh and four oh and five at some point uh and but. here we had the uh mississippi state losing to texas tech uh 34 to 7 in the liberty bowl yes there's a big butt to come later but we haven't gotten there yet <laughs> um well, I just I think what that speaks to is the fact that, you know, number one, there's more SEC teams in bowl games than anywhere else. Yep, they had and, and twelve. Yeah, total. they had twelve, and and that's driven by a couple of things. One, uh, the way that the SEC schedules, they only they only schedule eight conference games, so their their team's ability to get to the minimum six wins is easier because they have one more patsy on their schedules, and and then and add in the fact that for the most part, the SEC hardly ever um, you know, uh, plays games outside of their own uh, southeastern region of the United States, and they just don't face very many tough opponents in the non-conference because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. No, yep, there's something to that. Um, and, of course, obviously the fact that there's so much talent down there in yeah, that absolutely. conference. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but, but it does speak to the fact that those lesser teams in the SEC weren't really that good. That's why they started out with all the early bowl games, which is usually the, the lesser teams that are just making the bowl games. Um, those guys all got beat, right? So yep. the depth of talent was not there in the SEC like it maybe has been in some other years. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Um, then we have a Big Ten matchup here with Minnesota playing against West Virginia, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. <laughs> and uh, they won 18-6. to um, so Minnesota had a, a good end of their season with that win over Iowa late, and uh, the, or Wisconsin, Wisconsin, rather. yes, and then uh, and then now winning a bowl game. Yep. So there we go. We know you love that coach so much. Oh yes, 
He's one of my favorites. <laughs> not. Not. Uh, and then in the uh, Cheez-It Bowl, we had Clemson versus Iowa State, which I thought might be an interesting matchup. And Clemson won that, but it was 20-13. to 13, So right. Iowa State kept it close. They hung around. You know, there was a time when Clemson was more in the lead, and then Iowa scored later and kind of made it interesting there at the end. But, uh, but Clemson was definitely the better team in that particular scenario. Okay, as we would expect. Um, and uh, Michigan State played against Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl. Um, I didn't get to catch that particular game, but they won 31-21. Oh, yeah, and it was a crazy. I mean, that was a close, close game. I think it might have been in overtime. Uh, no, that was the Purdue game. That was the Purdue game. You're right. But, but even the Michigan State game was super close, and the Michigan State scored, I believe, on like a pick six or some kind of big play late in the game. Um that made the score look more comfortable than it really was. That was a super tight game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I did get to see some of uh, was the um, Alamo Bowl with Oklahoma versus Oregon. That was one I was kind of excited for because we've got, you know, two traditional titans of the game fighting against each other and everything. Um, but it ended up being 47-32 uh, to 32, uh, Oklahoma over Oregon. And I'm pretty sure... Some of that thirty-two of Oregon's came late. Like Oklahoma was in control pretty most much of the game, pretty yeah. much the whole game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with both Oklahoma and Oregon next year. Mm-hmm. Yep, both with new coaches. Both with new coaches, tons of talent on both rosters. So you know how quickly do they settle into the new systems and that sort of thing? It's going to be really interesting to see how they do. And obviously, we're particularly interested being Nebraska uh, fans because we play Oklahoma again. So how quickly are they going to get their uh, themselves organized or not? And it sure looked like they were already doing that um, yeah. in this bowl game. Their uh, quarterback Rattler had another good day. No, it wasn't Rattler. Rattler's or, gone. I'm sorry. Yep. Caleb Williams. Williams. Yes. Yes, that's right. But he played really well. Yep, he did. Um, We actually did predict that one. Um, I predicted 45-35, so I was pretty close close, to the final score. You You predicted a a bit more of a blowout of 45-17 over Oregon. Right, which might have been where it was before the late score. Right. <laughs> so, but I was closer, so I, I get the point for that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, then the game you mentioned that was really crazy and close was the Purdue Tennessee game, the uh, Music yes. City Bowl, yes. which ended up being a 48 to 45 victory of Purdue over Tennessee that went into overtime. Um, and I saw the, the controversial play basically in overtime. Tennessee had like fourth and one at the goal line and went for it. And it was kind of like, okay, did this guy's forward progress end? Because he did extend the ball over the line at the last second. Um, so it's like, should that have counted, et cetera, et cetera. From what I saw, I thought the refs did a f- fine job of like whistling it when they did. Because yeah. the dude, basically the dude falls down, but he's on top of a guy, which is a little hard to see in the moment, of course. And then, and there's literally, there's a dude from... Uh, the opposing team pulling him back, and there's Purdue. a dude from his team pulling him forward. So there's two guys yanking on him. And then at the last second, he reaches his arm out and does cross the goal line. But so then the ball... After the whistle. But the ball... And then the ball immediately comes out. Right. And I think technically the whistle did come, like, right after he had reached it out, which is what people were using to say, oh, it should have been a score because of 
got held up as that his forward momentum stopped mm-hmm. and that, you know, then all that Purdue had to do was go kick a field goal and the game was over. Right. So obviously it was a very consequential decision. Um, but I personally felt like it was, I don't think they got robbed per se. I think it was a reasonable call by the officials. Right. Um, what was your thought? I generally agree with you. I, I just think that, but it's hard to know because, again, on a situation like that, when that was blown dead, thanks to the stupid rules that they have now about allowing continuation of play, um, you, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, there, are, there are games where refs would have called that a touchdown, no doubt about it. So that's where the controversy is. It, in a lot of other games, that's a touchdown because they swallow their whistle and they wait too damn long before they blow it. And they let all this shoving and right. pushing and pulling well, happen. And I think the fact that the he he did bring the ball forward past the goal line, but then the ball immediately came out of his hand, like right afterwards. Right. I think well, that but, also throws some. Yeah. You know, yeah. That adds another element. Yeah, adds another element to it. But that's a big win for Purdue. I would not have predicted that they would have beaten Tennessee. Right. So. That was probably an unexpected victory for, for the Big Ten versus the SEC in that particular bowl. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl, we had Wisconsin played against Arizona State, and it was the same score as that Clemson game of 20-13. Uh, so a win, but not a dominant win. Right. I'm... Uh, th- that's impressive. I, I actually got to attend an Arizona State game in person uh, while uh, I've been down in Phoenix this year, and uh, you know, uh, and it was against USC, and they beat USC. And so they're a team that has some speed and some talent and some individual spots, but they're a very incomplete team. And I thought that Wisconsin would be able to take advantage of that, and they did to some extent. But Wisconsin was never able to put them away. Hmm. Um. And I did get to catch some of this one, as we mentioned earlier, Central Michigan playing against Washington State, and they yep. ended up winning 24-21. Um, if I recall correctly, Washington State kind of scored late, but uh, but Central Michigan was able to kind of hold on. Yes. It was, it was either that, that or was the reverse. one of those things where, uh, you know, uh, uh, this happened a lot in a number of the bowl games, but, but it's this whole deal of, of when you have your opportunities, you have to seize the moment. You, you have to get those points. And um, uh, Central Michigan, there were some times when they were on the verge where they could have comfortably beaten Washington State, but they just let Washington State hang around because they made mistakes or they kicked field goals instead of touchdowns, you know, just different things like that that, that led to them in that situation. And there's a few other bowl games that ended up playing out kind of similar. Well, actually, we're getting to one right now. It was uh, the Fiesta Bowl with Notre oh, yes. Dame and Oklahoma State. Yes. Where Oklahoma State ended up winning 37 to 35, but it was actually uh, 28 to 7 in Notre Dame's favor near halftime, like right. right near the end of the second quarter. So I mean, we we were flip, flipping back and forth between channels, and we kind of flipped away from that one for a while because it was looking so Notre well, Dame dominant. Yeah. Uh, but then Oklahoma State scored late in the second quarter to make it only a 14 point lead. And then they really came out and played well in the second half. They did. Um, you know, uh, changing up some of their offense, uh, getting some nice runs and pass plays and things. Whereas Notre Dame's quarterback uh, really couldn't get anything going no. offensively. Right. Um, and they had a lot of opportunities, it seemed like, where Notre Dame could have gone up more and really put the game away, but they couldn't. Right, either turnover or bad, bad 
play calling, you know, a combination of all those things. But bottom line, that's what happens in bowl games, particularly in a bowl game where, in Notre Dame's case, they had a new coach. So they're going through all the transition and change that's associated with that. Um, so Yep, and it was um, 37-28 near the end. Notre Dame did score one touchdown late, but then they missed the onside kick, and at that point the game was over. So it was one of those sort of scenarios. Um and we had uh, Kentucky versus Iowa in the Citrus Bowl, where Kentucky won uh, twenty to seventeen. Um, Kentucky, uh, Iowa was actually leading uh, seventeen to thirteen right. for a good chunk of the second the latter, half. Latter part, um, yeah. Well, I was actually kind of rooting for them, um, but uh, you know, it came to a situation where they got the ball, and all they had to do was get a couple first downs, throw out the clock. Um, and it was a, a situation where it would have been like fourth and one on like the, the forty-five, their, their own forty-five, their own near 45. the near the fifty-yard line, right? And they chose to go conservative and punt it there. Um, and then, of course, Kentucky gets the ball, has a great drive with a amazing catch and run by Wandell Robinson, Nebraska's well, former, and, and his whole game. I mean, Wandell had like well, hundred yeah. 80 yards receiving and just just was spectacular. Yeah, he was spectacular the whole game. Rubbing it in the face of all Nebraska fans. That that particular play, though, was really amazing. And that's what scored them their final touchdown. So it was one of those situations where, you know, maybe maybe Kirk Ferentz should have been a little more aggressive and just trust his offense, gone for it on fourth and one. If you get it and you get like one more first down, like the game's, game's over, over, right? And you're still in, it's still in your your right. control. Yeah, right? but you know, again, arguably, if you don't, then you've given the other team momentum and the ball a very easy on, on, score. yeah, with only a few uh, you know yards. But they still needed to get a touchdown to get ahead. Yes, and so and and Iowa's defense had played so well up to then, and you just it, there's a point where that's a feel thing, right? You've got mm-hmm. to believe. Okay, yeah. I think my offense can get this done. It's true, but it happens so often in bowl games, right, where a defense that has been able to stop them right. up until the very end of the game, then they go to a you know cautionary like prevent defense, you know, where they're like avoiding the, the big play, the big play, but they'll give up the first down, right. you know, and. I hate it when teams do that because it always leads to first down, first down, you know, like little dink and dunk passes, and that's exactly what they want. You know, get out of bounds easy, right. drive it down the field, and then they get one big play, like that Wando Robinson play, and then boom, they're in business. Right. Yep. <coughs> so, yeah, that one was a little frustrating as a Big Ten fan, but it was good to see Wandale playing well. For yeah, sure. he, he played incredible. And then... uh this one was a, another kind of disappointing one for the Big Ten in the Outback Bowl. Arkansas played against Penn State, and they won twenty-four to ten. Right, and and I and that was a that was the game that was really a great example of missed opportunities. I mean, Penn State throughout the first half and even parts of the second half, you know, was the better team, was moving the football you know, controlling the clock, et cetera, et cetera. But they just kept shooting themselves in the foot, either with a turnover inside the uh, at the end zone or, or really close, ball. overthrown balls, wide open receivers overthrown. Their quarterback, Penn Cliff, State's Clifford, right? Clifford, he had a terrible game. He just he just missed on so many wide open players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was a frustrating one. Another one where, you know, Arkansas is ranked 24. One, whereas Penn State is not. So, you know. 
but based but Penn off State of. was the better team, except for the fact that their quarterback played so poorly in terms of his execution. All the other guys, you know, they they got they gave him time. Um, the receivers were open, so the the scheme, play calling, everything worked. There just was a, a lack of execution from that quarterback spot, and it points out how important it is that you have a quarterback who can execute when you need him to. Okay, they, they they're not going to be perfect, but they got to do it enough, you know. Yeah. And when you have play after play after play where it doesn't work, and this was not a a rookie freshman sophomore, this was a senior four year player who had played a lot. And I know that sounds like an echo from our <laughs> complaints of the Nebraska team. So. Yeah, yeah. So Dad was empathizing a bit with the Penn State I, fans. I really was in that moment. Uh, so, yep. You know, uh, capping off things for Arkansas. You know, another example also where Arkansas was probably more happy to be there than Penn State was because Penn State's kind of had a disappointing season for their standards versus Arkansas, who's done building, quite well yeah. in the SEC. Right? Yeah, they're building, so um, that's always a factor too. Um, and then there was the uh, Rose Bowl, of course, always a classic. And it was Utah versus Ohio State this year. And when we were looking at some of the players that were setting out, uh, Ohio State had several, such as Olave, their star receiver, and some uh, people on the line, defense. I think, on both offense and defense. Yep. And so that plus the fact that Utah was going to be the team with more energy, you know, more excited to be there and everything, made me think that, that might be the formula that Utah needed to actually win that game, even though I think Ohio State is way more talented than Utah was. Uh, and early on, it seemed that way. Uh, they yep. went up 14 to nothing in the first quarter. Um, it was actually, I think it was 35-21 by halftime. Um, yeah, which is crazy. It was crazy. You know, they got like a kickoff return for a touchdown. touchdown that's right. You know, and, and uh, Ohio State over the course of the game actually – gave away basically two touchdowns, one to an interception in the end zone and another to a fumble in the end zone. Um, so, you know, there were – Ohio State was making enough mistakes that it seemed like Utah could stay in it. But then in the second half, uh, Utah's offense kind of sputtered. Um, they couldn't get as much going. And uh, right. They had 35 points at halftime, and they ended with 38? Uh, 45. 45. Well, they got one more touchdown. One more t- they got, so they got 10 points in the second half. Yep. Yeah, one more touchdown, one field goal. Um, and Ohio State's uh, star wide receiver, uh, Jackson Smith Najigba, had an insane stat line of uh, he caught 15 times, that he was tar- he was targeted 16 times, so he caught it 15 out of 16 for 346 yards, which is a new bowl record yep. for receiving. That is nuts. Yeah, Utah, basically, once, once Ohio State figured out that uh, that matchup was just terrible for Utah. They just kept exploiting it, and they were just getting deep ball after deep ball. Admittedly, with some great throws by their quarterback, well, and they they kept playing throwing uh, a dime. They kept playing some zone too. Utah was right was playing some zone defense, and that that played into this whole thing too because they were just slicing and dicing them. They sure were. So yeah, it turned out to be yeah quite a crazy score fest, and I was really. Hoping Utah could do it. You know, their first, their quarterback got hurt. They brought in the second team guy, and he actually did pretty good with some penalties from OSU. They were able to score near the end of the game, get it tied up. But of course, Smith Najigba, you know, caught another big pass, and they were in easy field goal range, and so it was over for Ohio State. But a good, exciting game. It was. It was fun. 
Um, we predicted that one, and I predicted uh, 42 OSU, Utah 35, uh, whereas you predicted 38 OSU, 28 Utah, a little lower score. So you're, you're, you were the more close on that one, too. Yep. Not bad, not bad. But you, you're getting your comeuppance here in a bit. Oh, really? I whiffed bad on the one we'll be talking about. <laughs> um, and then lastly here we have the uh, Sugar Bowl, which was Baylor versus Ole Miss. We were watching that one late last we were, night. Yeah. Um, and it was actually tied seven to seven, or it was actually zero to seven, uh, with Baylor with seven, uh, Ole, Ole Miss with zero. zero at halftime. Halftime, yes. And apparently yeah. the seven that Baylor got came off of a pick six, I believe. So both offenses are really struggling. Uh, Ole Miss's quarterback got hurt early, so they were bringing in their backup. So. You know, they kind of had some uh, issues, but then the backup started playing better in the second half. Um, they managed to get a good touchdown drive. Um, but then Baylor started to turn it on, too, and we really loved their number seven. Yeah, their running back running ran so hard. Yep, there was one in particular where he needed to get a first down. There was a guy in his way, and he just pushed right through him. Yeah, he just knocked him over. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I really admire uh, Baylor's team mentality their culture their team culture is something that i i find i i admire quite a bit yep and their aggressiveness on defense they were winning the battle the line of scrimmage and even getting, though they were smaller getting pressure on that quarterback uh they had 10 sacks total by yep. the end of the game yeah which is crazy um so that was a fun one to watch for us yep he's a potential uh Target for uh, post Scott Frost Nebraska world. So uh, I sure hope so. We'll see on that one. That would be my dream. <laughs> Dad's dream. And then of course we've got the semifinals, um, the big games, and um, Alabama Cincinnati. We knew it was going to be a long, long, long shot for Cincinnati to uh, beat Bama. Um, but to their credit, you know their their coaches clearly came up with a good game plan. Um, defensively, they were able to get some real pressure on Bryce Young, their Alabama's Heisman-winning quarterback, was doing better than Georgia did in yep. their game against Alabama. Um, so they managed to slow Alabama down a good bit. But unfortunately, Cincinnati's offense simply wasn't up to the task, and it kind of felt to me like Alabama wasn't playing their best. You know, uh, They were kind of coming in with their B game, uh, but it felt like so was Cincinnati's uh, offense. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati's defense was playing great, but their offense was not executing. Their quarterback missed some guys that he definitely could have. Right. Uh, and it, and hit. it's and classic in this situation. At some point in the second half, Alabama's individual talent, their running backs, their offensive line just kind of started to impose their will. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so um, the score ended up being uh, twenty-seven to six. Um, with Bama winning, but I would say, you know, for three quarters of the game, it was closer than that score would make you think. Right, that's they, true. Cincinnati kept it interesting for three quarters, but yeah, by the fourth quarter, Alabama pulled away and it was oh, totally over. Um, we did predict that one. You predicted uh, 35 to 7, so that's pretty close, close to the yeah. final score, and I predicted 45 21. I thought Cincinnati would uh, manage to score more, and so would Bama, so I was wrong there. It was more of a defensive battle. Uh, and then, of course, there was the Orange Bowl with Georgia and Michigan. Um, and uh, Georgia was, of course, coming off of the disappointing loss to Alabama. And so part of the question was, how do they adjust from that? How does Michigan come into that game um, to deal with Georgia's huge physicality and everything? 
And the answer, as it turned out, was uh, try to run it right at uh, Georgia's defensive line. Or, admittedly, they did try to run it to the corners, too, and Georgia was fast, fast. enough to catch them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. It, uh, that was on right at New Year's Eve. It was late here on the East Coast. So I watched, like, the first half of that and then uh, kept an eye on the score on my phone in the second half, and I saw that nothing was happening. So I knew that... Uh, well, I watched the whole thing. Michigan was in trouble. I watched the whole thing, and it... it uh, yeah. It Michigan... Ugly. Well, there was no adjustment, in my opinion. It, it's like... Um, once Michigan's original game plan, that once they attempted it and it wasn't working for them, uh, they did not adjust. You know, they they needed to come up with a way that they were going to be able to move the football, um, uh, and and they didn't. It, it seemed like they didn't try because you would have thought they would have tried to follow uh, Alabama's blueprint a little bit better. That because the the weakness of Georgia is their secondary. They've had nine or ten starters over the course of the season. They've had a lot of injuries in that secondary, and they're young there. I mean, they just don't have a lot of, a lot of experience slash talent. I don't know what the, all the details are, but bottom line, that's the weakness of the Georgia team. And Alabama absolutely exposed it in their uh, matchup in the conference championship game. So I was expecting Michigan to try to do that too, because you know Michigan's got had a, a good passing, not a great passing uh, game this year, but a good one. But it seems like they didn't even try. Um, and once the running game wasn't going to happen um, for Michigan, there was no second gear. There was no alternative that they could get to. They needed to be throwing that ball quick. They needed to be using their tight ends. They have Michigan had good tight ends. They had a good offensive line, but but. I mean, they were making uh, Georgia was making minced meat out of that damn offensive line that was supposedly the best offensive line in the country and got the big trophy that they you know put all over social media and then they were made fools of. Um, so it was kind of sad uh, that Michigan didn't come up with a better uh, performance in that big stage. Yep, yep, yeah, and their quarterback, uh, Cade McNamara. Um, he was getting pressured a lot, to be fair, because of that, you right. know, defensive line of Georgia. But, yeah, you know, he clearly uh, isn't as comfortable when he's forced to be a pure passing quarterback. Right. Well, and, and the other thing is, is they, they did play their backup quite a bit because they have done that all year. But it was so predictable what that, when the backup was in, what they were going to do until very late in the game and it was already a, a foregone conclusion. Then they finally took the reins off and let the young guy start throwing the ball a little bit. But but uh, initially, the first four or five times he came in the game, it was pretty much a guarantee that that play call was going to be a running play. Either to, he was going to keep it himself or he was going to hand it off. I mean, it, it just seemed very predictable offensively, and it didn't make uh, Georgia work very hard. It, mm-hmm. it just didn't seem – Georgia didn't even have to – practically sweat to, to, yep. to win this game and that's the frustrating part yeah no yeah I was I was definitely frustrated with that and how many of these just giant long passes that Michigan just let happen over and over again it seemed like including one where the Michigan guy was with him and then slowed down right and then tried to speed back up but it was too late and the guy went off for a touchdown right so yeah, it ended up being uh, 34 to 11 with Michigan getting a score late in the game when it didn't really matter, matter. anymore. And it could have been worse. Anymore, um, yeah. Far, as far as points scored by by uh, Georgia. Right. You think they, they took the gas off later I do. on? I yeah. think they, they, well, they were just starting, okay, now it's just run out the clock and get, get out of here. 
Yep. Which is kind of what Bama did too against Cincy. Yep. Uh, later on. Um, so we predicted that one, and that's the one where I was being the optimist and thinking, because I thought Michigan had a real shot against Georgia. I knew Cincy wasn't going to beat Bama, but I thought Michigan had a real shot to beat Georgia if they played their best. Um, so I predicted they would win 24-21. You were more realistic, but you said it would be close, so you predicted 35-31 Georgia over Michigan. Right. I, I also thought Michigan would show up and play, and that, uh, you know, after seeing Georgia basically get beat badly by Alabama in the conference championship game, I thought, you know what, this is a team that maybe hasn't really seen that many good teams. And then you see the early results in the Big Ten uh, performance in the bowl games, and you're like, okay, well, maybe there's not as much difference here. But then Michigan laid an egg. And uh, and, and uh, part of that, I think, is the Michigan coaching staff and their preparation and their game plan just wasn't very good. And then also I think that Georgia played way better in this game than they did against Alabama. So it'll be interesting to see if Georgia can then duplicate that in this next yeah. game against Alabama. Yeah, which of course is the national championship, Georgia versus Bama. Disgusting. One, the, the matchup we wanted to avoid because you know, it's a rematch of something we just saw you know, a month ago. And it's and all it's, SEC. And, and it's all and SEC. It marginalizes and regionalizes the sport of college football again. And it's another reason why this college football playoff is a freaking disaster. <laughs> um, I do think one in, one point of interest I find is the kind of chess match between the coaches here. Because I agree with you that I thought Georgia looked much more in form against Michigan than they did against Bama. Um, and that clearly they've made some adjustments, you would think, since that devastating loss to Bama. So it's like, how does Kirby Smart and his staff you know, try to adjust to what... Bama did last time, and then what does Saban do? Does he come in with the same general game plan that worked before? Is he going to, you know, try to predict what how Georgia's going to adjust? So, and the fact that, you know, Smart is a former Saban assistant, right, and that whole narrative plays into it where Smart's never beaten Saban before. You know, there there is some interesting storylines there um, of how the two coaches will go about that, that particular matchup. Boring. <laughs> I think it's a bit interesting. Yeah, I know, um, and and they'll they'll make it interesting. Uh, you know, ESPN is loving this, and uh, you know, don't get me started on the whole ESPN support of the SEC. It's yes. just disgusting. Yes. Uh, well, I got I got to mention this. The one about about uh, they're talking about uh, one one guy's injured, and they're for a Big Ten team, and they the the, the talk and the conversation is all about how uh, they're faking injuries to slow down the fast-paced offenses. And then the SEC guy gets hurt later in the same game, and it's about how, you know, you can really cramp up even in cold weather. And, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's just it's just hilarious uh, how blatantly skewed uh, their coverage and their promotion of their chosen conference, the SEC, is. It's disgusting. I, I didn't realize that it was literally within the same game, yes. those two comments. That is funny. Um but, uh, yeah, as far as predictions for the game, um, I'm going to be the optimist again because that's that's my role here on this podcast. <laughs> it is, because I am not. It and uh, I thought that Georgia did look very impressive they against uh, Michigan. Um, and so I'm going to hope that Kirby Smart and his staff and his players are going to be the ones more motivated and ready to go there and beat that darn uh, 
Alabama team here in the Nick National Satan. Sh- yes, Nick Satan. Um, and so I'm going to hope that their uh, defense is able to uh, play better. You know, and once again, Alabama, you know, didn't look like amazing against Cincy, right? They showed their signs of weakness right. um, against Cincy's defense, right? Um, so I'm going to predict that Georgia wins, and uh, I'm going to say, but it will be close. I think it will be a good game. Um, so I'm going to say that Georgia ends up winning, let's say, uh, 28 to Alabama's 24. Wow. Okay. All right. My my take on this is is that I want, I really really want you to be right. Okay. In fact, I'd love it if 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 uh, Georgia blew them out and 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 really dominated defensively and such. But um, I think that this thing comes down to the coaches and the quarterbacks, and I think uh, Bryce Young is just incredible and I think Georgia's quarterback is as a good solid player who's a good distributor and is uh, you know he's he's adequate uh, but he's not the difference maker that we that that Georgia would need to beat Alabama and you're going to get Alabama's a game in this national championship if there's one thing you know about Nick Saban is when it comes to national championship games he has his guys ready to play and I expect that again this time. And so uh, the, the, the thing that's a head-scratcher and that I can't forget is how incredible Alabama's offensive line was in that game against uh, Georgia. Georgia. Mm-hmm. They were dominant. That, that, that quarterback, Bryce Young, had all day. He could have eaten lunch back there while he was in the backfield waiting uh, and going through his progressions. And if, he can, if they can do that again, I think it's going to be another uh, Alabama win. And... I believe there's a chance because it is the finality of national championship game. I think it could be a blowout. I, I think if Alabama gets up early, it could it could be a blowout. Um, but I'm hopeful that the opposite happens. I'm hopeful that you are right. So uh, I'm going to go with Alabama winning another national championship, beating the you know a, a Nick Saban assistant again, um, and I think it's probably going to be a final score of like. Um, Oh, I don't know, 38 to 21. 38 to 21. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, it. yeah, if if Bama ends up going up early and everything, it's going to be a really boring national championship game because everyone's going to expect that. Well, it's going to be anyway because it's all SEC, and I, I really would love to see a boycott of this game nationally by fans of, of other leagues, particularly fans of the Big Ten S, uh, <clears throat> ACC. Well, no. Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 should all boycott this game and have the television network numbers be devastatingly low um, so that it would prove that it has become a regional game where only the SEC and occasionally the ACC cares. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's really just the SEC. Yeah. Well, I expect... And I mean, unless it ends up being like a really close game that goes down to the wire, I expect the numbers are not going to be good. Um, I don't know how bad they'll be, but I don't think they're going to be right. where the Historic network wants them right. to be now. Right. Because, yeah, it's just not that interesting of a matchup it since is. we just saw it. Um, I thought this stat was uh, interesting. Uh, it's kind of sad. It says that in the last 16 national championship games, the SEC has had 18 appearances because of all their getting to go with two teams. Two teams, right. Um, they've been in 18 times of the last 16. 
<laughs> so explain that to somebody who doesn't know football. Right. And they'll be like, what? How does that make any sense? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then the the final bowl standings, of course, have come out. Um, I guess there is one more game. I think Kansas Tuesday, State yeah. against... Um, it's an SEC school. Yes. Who is it? I'm blanking on it right LSU. now. LSU. Oh, that's right. So Kansas State, LSU. So that, that will change these numbers a little bit. Um, but as of right now, um, the Big Ten was six and four, SEC five and six, um, and of course the Alabama Georgia game doesn't matter because there'll be, be one, one loss and one, and one, one win. <laughs> right, so that won't matter. So they'll end up six and five. We'll be six and four. Okay. Yep. Well, and but then LSU probably beats Kansas State, right? So that's what I mean. They'll be they'll be six and five then, right? Right. Yeah, I guess so. Um, or well. It would be seven and seven, actually. Basically, they'd be, they'd be have parity because they're five and six right now. They're down one. Oh, okay. So LSU would bring them to okay equality. Six, right, six. And um, six. Big Twelve did well. They were four and two. Uh, Pac twelve did terrible. They were zero oh and five. Yep. Uh, and the ACC uh, two and four. Um, kind of surprising of the uh, the. The group of five schools did do well overall when they played against Power Five schools. They usually won, and the Mountain West was five and one. Yep. So, well, and see, and and the and again, I think it's because a lot of those Power Five conference schools who are playing in these lesser bowls are number one. They're flawed teams because they're not the best teams from those Power Five conferences, and number two, there's a motivation problem with a lot of those schools. Uh, whereas the the group of five schools who are in that group um, are super psyched to be playing a Power Five school, so that's the deal. Mm-hmm. Now that there is definitely something to that, and of course the you know recurring issue that has come up many times here in the past five ten years of um, players sitting out of bowl games came up again with plenty of big players sitting out even of major bowls, right? Like the Rose Bowl. Um, I did see just today a statement from uh, Robert Griffin III, which I thought was interesting, getting his perspective on it um, as a former college superstar. He said, uh, after we won the Heisman in 2011, I made the decision to play in our bowl game because our program hadn't won one in 19 years. That was my decision. Don't condemn guys for opting out. Matt Carroll's injury is exactly why they do. Pray he is okay and his draft stock isn't impacted. Matt Carroll being Ole Miss's quarterback right. that got injured at, near the beginning of that bowl game. Right. And, and, and I get that. But, but again, uh, and his draft status absolutely is going to be affected by that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and that's the justification for why you would do that. But when you've been playing, you know, since you were 9 or 10 years old, and you've played 100-plus 100, games in your life, uh, and then you're going to walk away from your teammates after three or four years of being their teammate. Um, I don't know. It's just it, there's there's something fundamentally wrong about that when you're playing a sport where you have taken that risk a hundred times before. So this shouldn't be any different. You should go out and play. And on those rare occasions when something like that happens, yes, there there can be a negative consequence. Absolutely. But there are, there's insurance for that sort of thing. I just think. I just think players should they're going to regret it because you know what if they don't play they won't get injured right but 20 years from now when they're when their other when their teammates are getting back together for a, a, a 
25-year reunion of their victory in the Peach Bowl or the Rose Bowl or whatever, it's a big damn deal. That's a big deal, and it's all the shared experiences, that, and he doesn't have it. You know, so I think it's not worth the... It's not worth the downside for somebody. Right. And this was interesting, a comment from C.J. Stroud, the... Um, Quarterback of, of uh, Ohio State. Ohio State, right, who did have some prominent players, like we mentioned, sit out. Right. And he said, uh, this is the Rose Bowl, man. This is where legendary games are being played. If you aren't motivated to play, I question your love of the game. Exactly. He said. So, you know, there's different perspectives out there, and I do get it, like, thinking about it. You know, if I was a really good football player right in my senior year yep. and I had millions of dollars you know potentially on the line for right. the NFL right you know it is hard to say you know especially those of many of them coming from poor backgrounds and things like that right, right. are you really going to give up you know take a chance on giving up some life-changing money you know right. for one more game it's true um so it is a, a I, tricky I, thing to, to decide but then you have you know it wasn't that long ago right like when uh and Dominican sue you know was playing with nebraska and he was absolutely going to the nfl he was you know an amazing yeah, superstar yeah. and he still played in our bowl game even though you right. know there wasn't an incentive for him to do so right right, right. exactly so it's just a it's a mentality thing Yep. Well, and I'll yeah, I have a greater respect now for the players that do stick around, um, who do have those clear NFL prospects because the you know they're that other people have paved the way and the temptation is very much out there for them to go the other way. So I respect those that do stick around. Yep. Yep. I would love to see a study done on that at some point here. Oh, I'm sure. Go there back will be. and look at all the way back to you know after their football careers are done, their NFL careers, and to see how many of those guys that, that opted out, how many of them really became superstars and had extended long-term careers. I'm sure there are plenty, but, but there's probably a lot that didn't. And you begin to wonder if that mentality is, is an indicator of how long are they going to be successful in the league. Mm. Yeah, there might be something to that. All right, so we'll be doing another podcast here coming up after the national championship game, of course, to right. discuss how that went down, as well as uh, some recruiting news coming out of Nebraska. Hopefully, we'll hear more about our quarterback situation by then. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know what's going to happen there. It seems like we're t- tired and uh, focusing in on just a couple of guys. Um, and we got to get at least one of them, if not both. One minor thing we should mention is that, and it's not so minor, because one of our defensive coaches has left. Yes. Um, which, as we discussed on a previous podcast, seems like it may open up the room for Scott to rearrange his defensive staff a bit, fill in that area with the existing coach, and give us our special teams coach that we've been asking for. Right. So I'm hoping that's what happens here. Well... And so we'll be able to talk about that when it happens. Mm-hmm. That's right. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also search for us, College Football Throwdown, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there. We love hearing from the fans, and we can read out your comments here on the air for all to hear. So thank you all for listening, and thank you for joining me for this episode, Dad. It was fun to be here in person. It has been. It's been a great week with the family. That's right. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.